Thanks for tuning in to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suju Organic, where we inspire, educate, and provide advice and insights around those who are in the sports business and entertainment industry. Please follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited for my guest today and Kaylee Humphreys uh, on the USA bobsled team, and we'll get into her Olympic experience, both uh, for USA and Canada, uh, a two-time, uh, well, I should say four-time Olympic athlete, uh, two countries, uh, five-time world champion, four-time medalist. Uh, we'll get into some more about not only her success uh, on on the ice, but also um, you know, off, off the ice and, and, uh, in, in her professional world. So Kaylee, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Is, is on the ice, the right terminology for, you know, we say on the court, on the field is on the ice. Yeah. On the track, on the track. Okay. Either one works. We're not, (laughs) um, talk to us a little bit about your athlete journey. Some of the, you know, other sports, right? Baseball, football, basketball, there, there's a very uh, typical path to some extent of, Hey, you know, you go through these different levels, you maybe get drafted, you go pro, et cetera, but bobsled, not the case. Uh, how, how do you get into it? Uh, what's, you know, for, for anyone listening, um, what, what are the opportunities like? How do you all of a sudden go, I, I want to be a bobsled athlete? Um, I think it's more rare that people, you don't really grow up unless you watch Cool Runnings, which I did. Awesome I movie. did too. Great yeah. movie. Um, you don't really grow up wanting to be a bobsledder. I think most often than not, we're all secondhand sport athletes. Everybody has done a sport before and then you find bobsled. So we're definitely an older sport, second sport type of sport itself. Um, where I grew up in Calgary, Canada, they had a bobsled track actually the 88 Olympic cool runnings track. Um, So I knew of the sport, but I was participating. I was competing in ski racing. That was my love. What I thought I'm going to go to the Olympics for, and this is everything. And I knew of bobsled from being in the training environment. Um, Fast forward, I was 16, 17 years old, realized skiing was not going to happen for me. And I've always been really strong. Uh, Power is my wheelhouse and watching some of the other female bobsled athletes. I thought you guys are fairly similar. So I researched it um, looked up online, you know, how to become a bobsledder or like, how do you get into it? And I realized, and Canada and US are very similar in this. We have like recruiting camps that happen in the summer every year. I think most bobsled teams around the world are fairly similar. And so there's a series of tests you do and it's sprinting, it's weightlifting. And depending on how you do, depends on if you get invited up to the national team. So for me, that was the path. A lot of athletes get recruited. That is a very common, I would say probably 90% of athletes. We're constantly recruiting. We're looking at other sports. Um, we do have a wide gambit of sports. So there isn't a specific one we pull from track and field being the most common, just from the speed aspect. Um, but we've had softball, soccer. I come from ski racing, um, 
football, it, rugby. So it really, we've had a couple CrossFit athletes come out. It, it really is a gambit. And until you get out and push, we really don't know, are you good at pushing a sled? Can you be good at bobsled? And then it's, can you make it down? Can you survive a trip? Do you enjoy, you know, the actual sport itself? And so there's a, there is stages just like everybody else, but getting into it, you usually get recruited or um, you've heard about it and you want to give it a try. Some people in the sales world will say, hey, do you remember your first sale? And usually they're like, uh, yes, it was to this person, blah, blah, blah. But do you ever remember your first ride? Oh, yes. I think a lot of people, <laughs> it's not something you forget. <laughs> it scares the crap out of you. I won't lie. <laughs> it shakes you real good and you go, do I really want this? Um, I think, yes, I definitely remember my first ride. It was in Calgary. Um, my very, very first trip was actually in the front of a bobsled. That led to a couple weeks of learning to drive a bobsled, doing a driving school, just like you do when you have to learn to drive a car. There's a driving school you do to learn to drive bobsleds. Um, after two weeks, I had one crash. I broke my collarbone. It set me back for probably about four months, five months. And then I jumped into the back seat of the bobsled. So being a brakeman instead of a pilot, um, I did that for a couple years, but it, uh, yeah, you don't forget it. it it's it very hard to describe. Everyone goes, what's it going to feel like? What does it feel like? And there really isn't a way I can describe it. If, you, if you've ever been a fighter pilot, I feel like that's very similar from the G-forces. I think we can all relate to that one. Lots of people can. Um, the G-forces you feel in that, it's just they're a lot quicker, but they're very similar. Um, you never get that lifting feeling like you get in a roller coaster. It's a lot of pressure. Um, so it's a lot of the G-force that pushes you down all the time while you're just getting tossed from side to side. So that's kind of how it feels. It is really undescribable, honestly. So if anybody ever gets a chance to do it, it is, I think, super fun, really cool. A good adrenaline rush for sure, but definitely a very different, unique feeling that I haven't met anywhere else. When you started out and then, you know, you eventually make to the Olympics in 2010, 2014, 2018, and 2022, what kept you going? What was some of the adversity you faced along the way thinking like, as you're competing in some of these other world championships, again, there's other seasons, right? You know, in between um, the Olympic games, you're not just waiting around for four years. I mean, you kind of are, but but not really, right? There's a lot of competitions in between. What's some of the adversity you faced in between thinking, can I still compete? You know, all those different things that maybe go through your mind. I've been fortunate. I've had a 20 year career so far. So I faced all types of adversity. And I can honestly say every four year cycle has been completely different. So what motivates me the adversities I've had have changed throughout the year. I'm a different person now at 37 than I was when I got into it at 18. And I think we can all agree with that just in life, you know, the challenges we face as we grow up, as we get older, they're all drastically different. So um, my very first Olympics was 2006. Um, I ended up, I was a brakeman. So the person at the back that pulls the brakes at the end, I ended up being the alternate at that Olympics. I went in expecting to be racing and I wasn't. That was really hard. Um, I was young and 
Ego was fairly high, expected to be awesome, one of the top two in Canada in the sport, and I wasn't chosen to be on one of the teams. Um, some of the other teams, the cohesiveness was more there, um, and one of the other girls was faster. So that was a hard pill, a big learning lesson for me, but what it actually did was forced me to get into the front seat again, to start driving again, and from there, I definitely would not have had the success I've had in the sport had I not had that adversity, had I not been crushed and devastated to be at an Olympics, be so close to my dream and not be able to achieve it. Standing on the, the sidelines was extremely hard. Um, but like I said, it got me back into the front seat for the following four years going into 2010. I had a lot of people in our sport on average, you say it takes about eight to 10 years to build a really good bobsled pilot. And so I had four years before we had a home Olympics in Vancouver, in Whistler, as a part of Team Canada. And I had a lot of people say, it's not your time. Don't even try and make the team. You're not going to, you know, even if you do make the team, don't expect to, to medal. So finding sponsors, finding people that support when there's other athletes that are well more established was extremely hard. I'm in the beginning stages of my career, so I didn't have a lot of results to go to people with, give me my sponsorship package and, hey, support me. And they're like, mm, it's a home games. We're going to go with the more well-known. Um, and so that was really challenging. And I really had to dig deep, rely on family, friends, really on the supporters that believed in me. And whether it was going to happen in 2010 or not, they believed in who I was and what I was doing and who I am as a person. And that has also been a great lesson as I've gone through, but it was it was challenging to find those supporters. Um, the ones that I did find though are still supporters today. So I really did get a very core group of people that have allowed me to be in this position and been with me the entire time, which is, is really cool too. Um, going into 2010 though, you know, it was, it was challenging. I was definitely fighting for equipment, better equipment, learning how to drive, but 2010 was unlike any other Olympics. A home Olympics is just indescribable. That fueled me going into 2014. So what motivated me going into 2010 continued to motivate me into 2014. While every year we do have a World Cup season, so we do nine races every year and one major race, a World Championships. And then in the Olympic year, we replace the worlds with the Olympics in that fourth year, but we do have a world championships every year in a season. So, but what was motivating me into 2010 was also into 2014. And I did that mentally too, because I wanted, regardless of what happened in 2010, if it was going to take me eight years to really be awesome. Um, and I'll tell you why in a second, that's the case. Then I, that was going to be a 2014 commitment and journey regardless. Um, on average, they say, you know, the 10,000, the rule of 10,000, the 10,000 hour rule to really perfect, perfect your craft. Um, I can honestly say in 20 years of, of sport, I probably have like 24 hours of actually driving a sled when, when your trips take 52 seconds and you can only do so many a, a week, you yeah. can only do so many a day. I can do two, maybe three trips in a day. And there's only so many months and weeks in the year I can do it. And then the weather gets too warm and the ice is shut down. So really you have about th a three and a half month window for competition, training, testing, everything. And your trips take 52 seconds and you're taking one to two. 
we do a lot of visualization, a lot of work outside of the sled before I can get in, but it takes a while to really perfect your craft because you just don't have the time to be able to do it. Um, so going into 2014, the motivation, it was always to become Olympic champ. Once I achieved that in 2014, then the goal slightly switched to being the first to defend an Olympic gold medal. Nobody in women's bobsled had ever done that. So while the goal was still Olympic gold, it switched slightly. However, I was still very highly motivated and especially to be the first in women's history to be able to do that. Um, throughout that though, 2012, I won world championships, 2013, I won world championships that continued to build my confidence, especially going into something that nobody else had ever done. Um, fortunately I was able to defend that title, still the only pilot in women's bobsled to do that to date. And, uh, and then after 2014, it led into 2018. And my goal, honestly, for that next four years was to try and be the first bobsledder, male or female, to win three consecutive Olympic titles because nobody had achieved that. Um, going into the 2018 Olympics, it, it was challenging. I was changing. I was becoming more or seeing more of a leader on the team. I was starting to um, have a lot more sport experience than everybody else. So while I was a similar age, because I started so young, I had, I wasn't any older, but I had a lot more experience. I had already been to three Olympic games. I had two Olympic gold medals. Um, the pressure was really starting to mount as well. And uh, going into the actual 2018 year, I had a lot of changes and the adversity came in the form of coaching staff and support staff, a part of Team Canada. Um, within Bobsled Canada and in the Olympic year, I went in for three years with the same head coach, the same training coach, therapist. Um, we had a plan and we had a plan all mapped out. And six months before the games, all of that changed. We got a brand new head coach literally a week before the season started. Um, and he had very different philosophies and opinions. Because of that, it led to what I felt was a very abusive environment, a very um, sexist environment, and him and I did not get along, the head coach and myself, um, which made this season in the Olympic year, which is the worst season you want to have go wrong. Um, it made it extremely challenging. On a weekly basis, I was crying my face off. I was being demeaned in public settings in front of my teammates in front of other coaching staff at the top of bobsled tracks in front of the world. Um, so not only do I have all this pressure, I'm two-time Olympic champ, I'm heading into a third games. You know, I've won worlds twice in the last couple of years, all eyes are on me and I'm trying to hold it together. And I'm embarrassed every single day. I'm being yelled and screamed at, being told I have no idea what I'm doing and somebody else has my life in their hands. They get to control what equipment that I get. Um, they control the teammates that I've got. They get to control the amount of therapy that I get. Um, and so I wasn't able in that time to really speak up. A lot of it was just surviving and trying to get through the Olympics about two months before. Two months into having this coach and two months before the games, 
uh, I quit. I am ashamed to admit that, but I definitely wanted to be sent home. I was no longer having fun in the sport. I was no longer feeling like I could be successful. Um, I didn't feel myself and I felt demoralized and defeated, not just mentally, but also physically. And I didn't know what else to do. Every trick in the book that I had from, you know, 12 years of doing the sport went right out the window on communication, on motivation. And I was the lowest of lowest forms mentally and I, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, fortunately, I had a staff member that I'd been with for a while and between him and my brakeman, Felicia George, so Stefan Bosch and Felicia George were my rock. They really, the one coach that I had and the teammate that I had were so solid that they kept me going. They kept things positive. We were able to form a really strong team together. I asked to be removed from that coach altogether. Um, and I made the Olympic program. I made Bobsled Canada very aware that I wanted no more communication with the head coach whatsoever. Um, that was a temporary basis and a band-aid and a fix. It got us through the Olympics. We earned a bronze medal and I'm very proud of that bronze medal from 2018. We went into, um, so in bobsled, you've got two days of competition. Day one, you do the first two runs. Day two, you do the second two runs and all four runs count. Combined time of all four. Um, it's what makes our sport, I think, really unique. So throughout the season, every race you do, it's one day. Two runs, you're done. But it's consistency at the games that wins you races. So you could come second every single run and win the Olympics because there are people before you going first to 10th to second to sixth. So um, I think that's part of what makes our sport really cool. And we went into the second day of competition, the third and fourth run that really count in fifth place, me and Felicia. And we had to fight our way back to get on the podium and we didn't give up and we didn't give in and we put everything we had into it. And the adversity that I faced with my coach that Olympics was, it, it really shaped who I was as a person moving forward. Um, moving forward though, and that led me to Team USA. So moving forward, I knew it was no longer a safe. I physically did not feel safe in my environment. I mentally did not feel safe in my environment. And so I asked to get a different coach. And I was planning on continuing with Canada as long as I had a different coach. Um, they denied that request and continuously tried to force me to work with him, to have communication with him and to be physically around him. And for me, that was an issue um, as a female athlete against a male who is twice as big and twice as tall and comes from a fighting background. Um, it, I just felt unsafe and I didn't know what else to do. And when they denied my request, then I said, I, I don't want to do it. And I could see the writing on the wall. You know, I've seen athletes that have gone through similar situations. Um, I put in a abuse and harassment claim. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I notified my coaching staff, which enacted a safety protocol, um, which then led to a year long investigation, actually a four year long investigation. Um, and me having to sue for my freedom. The program refused to release me for competitive reasons. They didn't want to race against me. I was too competitive. So they weren't going to release me, which is what's required within the sport 
to go elsewhere. Um, and so I had to become very smart. Uh, fortunately, I got an amazing lawyer who supported me 100% throughout the process and really fought for me, even at times when I'm not sure I could have and done it myself. And I was able to get released. Um, I talked to members of Team USA, other athletes. I wanted to make sure that if I went to another program that the other athletes were okay with it. I wasn't gonna just walk in and I'm here. Um, I wanted to make sure they were fine with that, that the coaching staff were fine. And the team was amazing. They were so welcoming. They were so empowering. Um, I walked in and I wasn't granted a spot. It didn't matter. I was a three-time medalist, two-time Olympic champ. It didn't matter how many world champ titles I had. I had to make the team on USA like everybody else. I had to go to a recruitment camp. I had to buy a bobsled because I wasn't given equipment from Team USA right from go. I had to prove my worth just like anybody else coming into this program, but I appreciated that. I really did. Um, again, it- What's that What's that like starting over pretty much? Uh, yeah. What, eight, 16 years in, 18 years in? Yes, 16 to 18 years in, I go right from being, you know, one of the top five athletes in the entire country to, who are you? Like, just make the team. Everyone knew who I was, but it was one of those just, um, and in the transition, I lost all sponsors, um, except for the personal family friends, you know, all the big businesses, all the companies, everything I'd built up business-wise just gone. You know, the Canadian US systems, Adidas, they don't talk to each other. They've got, you know, different roles, um, Oakley, different wow. roles. So a lot of the big name businesses, Canadian Tire, they, that doesn't exist in the US. So it, they didn't just transfer over. Um, fortunately now I've got a company that sponsors that believes in me, um, and looks at me as, you know, a, I have a target audience in the Canada, in Canada and the U S which I think is super cool. Um, but it, it's taken a minute to get there and it was really hard to start again. And I had to start again with no guarantee that I was going to get my citizenship in time. Although that process between myself and my husband had already begun, I had been living in the U.S., actually training in Scottsdale, uh, probably it's that started 2013. Um, and I physically moved to San Diego in 2016. So I'd been living and working out in the U.S. for years uh, with my fiance, now husband. And so we had started the process, but there was no guarantee for anybody that's gone through citizenship knows it's it's a long process with no final official dates on very many things. So I had to commit to starting again in a brand new country with sponsors, business, building brand and image. Um, and then no guarantee that I was gonna make it for 2022. Um, you have to have citizenship in order to be able to compete. And so I went through that this last four years kind of blind having to start again, but not having to start again. I, I had the sport, which was consistent and that hadn't changed. Although obviously the flag I'm representing was different. My teammates, my coaching staff, my program were so supportive and they were so empowering. Right from day one, I had questions on, you know, okay, how can we help you? What's your plan? What do you think you need? They were entrusting me to help a lot of the junior athletes, can you help this person? How do you drive this corner? I had the other athlete athletes asking me, you know, like, how do you 
how do you handle social media? How do you get sponsors? How does this work? What do you drive here? What equipment are you using? And I was like, this is so foreign to what I've had, which for years was like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a woman in the sport. And here I am, a female in the sport in a program that is coming and wanting info and, and entrusting me with the info that I've got, that I know what I'm doing. And having that empowerment for who I am as a person and as an athlete, I was so proud to represent the USA. I was so proud to be, and I still am in a country and a place where, you know, they, they were positive and it's not without hardships. Don't get me wrong. And I was having to start again, but I was having fun in the sport. I loved my teammates. I was having fun in my environment. I was respected. Um, as a woman, I was feeling empowered as an athlete. I was empowered. And so that was super cool. Um, that's what motivated me when things got tough was my teammates and my support system and that empowerment, the realization that my career in Canada ended when I left. Um, and when the program chose to not support me for what I needed, which was a safe environment, um, that was, was hard. Was there anything that you learned from other athletes and other sports, other teams that helped you through all that process? I mean, starting over to switching countries to, I mean, again, the adversity piece is going to be different for everybody in their life, no matter what they're going through. Right. But you can kind of take the little bits and pieces and lessons from each person's journey to learn from them. Um, whether that be when you very, very first started to, to not making that Olympic team, right. To uh, having to start over, like, what are some of the things that you were able to lean on other athletes for along your journey? And also like getting to a point where you're going like, how much longer can I do this? Right. Like what, what are the next things in uh, the career of Kaylee? Yeah. Um, I did lean on other athletes for sure. Especially my teammates, my current bobsled teammates, they were the most supportive um, male and female. And so I really relied heavily on them, especially in very uncomfortable situations. I'm still competing against Canada now. I'm seeing the same coaches and the same athletes I was just teammates with. And now I'm competitors against them. And my teammates and my coaching staff were so understanding that I, I really had to rely on them. Starting again was hard social media wise. That was the hardest. Finding new sponsors, rebuilding a brand and an image, that's part of it. And anyone that started a new job, you go into a new workplace and you're like, okay, let's make new friends. That's challenging. But the hardest part for me was the social media aspect. I was called a traitor and every mean name you can possibly imagine and every swear word humanly possible. Um, and you can't, get, you can't get rid of it because yeah. you need it right like that's to build brand and image for yeah. the sponsors yeah you have to rebuild that i lost a lot of sponsors and i've really had to work hard to build that back up and do a deep dive into what i represent who i am so it was a total reset as a whole and it really made me look internally into all those things and uh yeah as much as you want to shut it off you can't so i've learned um, what got me through a lot of that was understanding, and again, this is my life, it's who I am, it's what I've done. When I look at 
Sidney Crosby, who plays for an American team as a Canadian, when I look at other athletes that get traded, that's the way I looked at it. I tried to look at it professionally, not as amateur athletics, which is a lot of the Olympic sports are bobsled is we don't have a professional league but this is my job this is my full-time job and for me to be the best i've had to treat it like a professional league or team does i have to treat my training my competition as professionally as i can um and that helped a lot if i looked at a lot of the professional athletes through hockey through baseball through nfl you know they get traded and stuff happens and they switch teams and if you're lucky, you're with a team for your entire career a long time, but that's not necessary. And it doesn't always happen that way. And because of that, that allowed me to look at it and go, okay, this is normal from a sport business. I needed to remove the emotion out of it. And when I looked at social media, I had to understand these people aren't living my life. And while they might be emotional in my journey and felt they were a part of it, and they were, they're not living it. And they don't know the emotion I went through and how I got to this position. And they need to make the best decisions for me in my life moving forward. So um, definitely other athletes, there's not a specific one. It was more just looking at a gambit of athletes and what are the Canadian ones that compete for US? There's a lot of Canadian athletes that go to school down in the US or, you know, and for me it was never a question of having to choose i've got enough love for both countries and i feel very connected canada has my past and usa has my future and i don't ever choose one is not greater than the other they both supplied something completely different at different points in my life and i think friendships and relationships and jobs are very similar to anybody else in this world and so when i can remove some of the emotion and i can put it and try and keep it as business and the sport business as possible. Um, that helped get me through most definitely. And then yeah, being able to compete. There's never one job that's better than the other. It's just every experience is a different experience. You have a different boss, you have a different culture, people you're around, different geography, you know, in some in some aspects, you know, as it relates to living elsewhere and uh yeah. you know, around the country and People come from the Dominican, they come from Mexico, they come from Canada, they come from Serbia in the NBA. Like it really, there's, you have a gambit. If you're the best, you're doing the best and you're committing to being a part of the best team and program for you to be able to win. And that's the way I see it. I chose a program and they chose me with USA. And because of that, I've been able to take my career to a whole nother level, a level I honestly don't believe would have been possible had I stayed a part of Team Canada. I went from a two-time world champ to a five-time world champ. My first three years in the sport with USA, I gained three world championship titles. Having that support and that structure, being in this environment drastically changed stuff. And I made additions to that. I didn't come into a program that was already sorted and I just slotted in. I helped build the program back up to that throughout my last four years within the program. So I know confidently the environment allowed me to prosper and hopefully it will create a much more successful and positive environment for USA bobsled long past when I'm gone too. That's what my hope is. Um, and how do you build, how do you build on the, the leverage of, of the success? Like in, in terms of, you know, you, you win a world championship, like how do you build on that? How do you take advantage of it for not only um, yourself, but the brand moving forward as a whole? For me, the biggest thing is, 
trying not to focus on the end result and focus on the process. Um, throughout every goal, if I look at, and of course, everybody wants to win. Everybody goes in wanting to be the best that they can be and to win. I try and break that down. I try and look at things very detailed and systematically. So how do I become the best? Um, I look at it in four-year chunks, three-year chunks, two-year chunks, months, weeks, days. Um, and then I look at, okay, what do I have to do today to achieve the goal today to be able to have it tomorrow? If I look at a bobsled race, if I focus on pushing the sled, then I jump in. Then I think about corner one. And then I think about doing corner two the best. And then I think about doing corner three. And if I make mistakes, I fix it in corner four and get back on track by five. If I stand at the top of a track and go, okay, I just want to win. Just be the best. Just be the fastest. Okay, maybe I will, maybe I won't. But now I'm not focused on how I become the fastest. Now I'm just focused on an end result. And it may or may not be there because of the sled I have or the brakeman. And of course, when I'm pushing, we'll push hard, push hard. But how am I able to push hard. I'm thinking about angles. I'm thinking about drive phase on speed, on force. I have a process and that mental process I go through. And when I can think about step-by-step trusting and believing the result will be there, that's what's allowed me, I think, to be the best that I can be and then trust in those stressful pressure times when everything's on the line four years later. Um, that again, that I, I know I can be the best, but I have to focus on that process. And I think that's also helped in the transitions for everything. Of course, I want 10 million followers on Instagram. Okay, how are we going to do that? So looking at how do I gain sponsors? How am I able to commit? If I know, if I really learn what I need, then I know I can replicate that no matter how big of pressure or stress or situation I'm in. Um, that's how I know I can be the best. And then I continue just to replicate that and really focus on the details. I think that's where you become the 1% of the 1%. Yeah, 100%. I think the process component, as you mentioned, just focusing on the process process over results, but that's not, it's a lot easier said than done, right? So what's one thing you maybe learned along the way in looking at the process or focusing on it? that you're maybe going about the wrong way at first, uh, but now you've changed paths in terms of how you think about the process. Um, I think believing in yourself needs to happen, but it can definitely be overrated if you let your ego get in the way. Um, there have been years and times when I thought, I'm Olympic champ, I got this, I know what I'm doing, and I knew the steps and I knew the plan but I let myself become complacent a little bit, trusting and believing that when it was time, I would just know what to do instead of really checking my ego and understanding that people are gunning for the, the ones that have the target on their back. And at, at times that's me and I can't become complacent. I can't, as much as I believe in myself, there are people that are better at certain things out there than I am. I might be the best, but, I'm not the best every day. I'm not the best at every single thing. I've just figured out how to put it all together in times that matter. But I also haven't. 2018 was a good ego check. And I, I'm not perfect every time. And there are other people that are better at certain things in gunning. So I think in believing in myself, I've also had to check my ego and understand and not become complacent. I've lost world championships because of it. 
I've lost races by one hundredth of a second because of it. And that's way worse mentally than anything, I think. If I know I did my best and I lose a race because somebody else was better, that for me is okay. I can handle that. If I go in and lose knowing I could have worked out this week, I could have done an extra recovery session. Why didn't I talk to my sports psych? What else could I have done? And if I can point to a bunch of other things that could have gone better or done differently, or I could have just you know, not been lazy on or put a little more effort into, done another visualization. If there's something specific I can pick to, then those are the really hard losses for me. Um, and so I've learned that throughout losing in that way, and I think they've all been blessings because I've learned from them that um, I don't want to become complacent. And as great as I can be, I'm not always the best. And there are other people that are better. Oh, and there's always the what ifs, right? There's always the extra thing you could have done. I mean, you can, you can go down a whole, a bad rabbit hole in that sense, uh, you know, but when you think about confidence piece, there's also the confidence in the process as a whole, right? So how do you, how do you get to a point mentally where you're like, okay, I'm confident in this process, just like anyone else's with their career. Hey, I'm confident in the road that I'm going down to build from one thing to another, to get to this place, to get to do this, whatever the case is. Um, how do you be, gain that confidence in the process as a whole and keep it throughout the entirety of it? I think the confidence in the process allows for that motivation to continue. Motivation is not always there. It's fleeting. Some days it's there, some days it's not, depending on energy, environment, all those other things. You're telling me you're not motivated to train every day? No, no. But the reminder of what's at stake uh, the people I surround myself with, the environment I put myself in, all of these things are factors into what overrides motivation when that fails. Um, and so the reminder of the plan and the process, um, that can become very motivating. How you get to that, I have my ideas on how I need to do it, but I rely heavily on people that I trust to also provide that feedback. My coaching staff, um, my, my physical trainer, Stu McMillan, genius. He knows way more than me when it comes to like training my body. I have been doing this for 20 years and I know what works and doesn't, but with him and I, it's a process. He doesn't, he tells me what to do, but if I can't do it, if I don't have the energy or the motivation, I'm very real with him on how things are. And we build me together. Um, and that's always been the case. I am the athlete I am because I've learned from him on the particulars. At the same point, I don't know a lot of stuff and what I don't know, he knows. So when it comes to a plan, how do I get faster, Stu? How do I get stronger? How am I the best athlete in four years? He'll break it down, you know, athletically. Here's what you need to do. Here's where we need to be this year, next year, the year after. And I have to trust that plan and process through him. So who I surround myself with and who I entrust with my plan allows me to have confidence in it. Um, for me, I will seek out the best therapist, the best coaching staff, um, and they may or may not be from this country. They may or may not come from the sport background, but if I trust and believe that they are the best at what they do and they believe in me and they believe in us as a team, and I think that's really, really important, um, in believing in the process that it is a, a team effort because things change, real life changes. You have to be able to adapt. It is, you know, a growing team and everyone has a part to play and 
they bring value and knowledge. Um, that's how I have confidence is through my coaching staff and through the people that I trust to be there day in, day out to write my programs, to get me lined up physically or to provide the proper therapy um, or to give me the best notes on the track. If you just tell me how to drive a corner, great, but that's going to change every single run. I need to learn what to do. So help me learn what to do. Be there at that corner that I'm having trouble on or I need info on so we can find the perfect plan. I can get a feel, then we can move on. And so when I have coaches that are able to do that, um, mechanics that work with me on, here's how the sled feels. Here's what I think we need. And I trust that they're building the best equipment. Then that's how I have faith in, in the program. Yeah, it's all team sport. I mean, re regardless of the fact if you're a you know individual you know competitor, right? Like it's all a team sport. And I think one of the one of the things which I loved you you, you really broke it down is like just because you're an athlete doesn't mean you're different than anybody else, right? You're going through the same things. You have a team that you rely on. You have a team of people you surround yourself with. You can look as a coach, as a boss, as a mentor, what, you know, whatever the case is, right? Like you just kind of switch the verbiage and relationships, but, uh, and, and, and the context as a whole, but you're going through the similar challenges that anyone else is going through, just different contexts, different lens, uh, maybe a little bit more pressure uh, at, at times uh, and, and stakes per se. But when you peel it all back and you think about, okay, like what have I done in my journey, my life to uh, help others, right? To be able to provide, you know, advice or, or some sort of, here's the, here's the biggest lesson that I've learned. Uh, here's how it could apply to you. Like, what's that one thing above anything else that you've learned across the board? And then we'll get to some rapid fire. Yeah. Um, I've learned that giving back is important that part of me feeling motivated and fulfilled as a human being is to know that it made a difference in somebody else's life. And while I was a young athlete, I wasn't really able to do that sport wise. I was doing a lot of volunteering. I was a part of multiple charitable organizations, knowing I've been gifted to be in this position. I've had a lot of people support me and I think it's important to support others. So whether I was a part of the Special Olympics or the Alzheimer's Society or a homeless shelter, um, right now I'm currently working on trying to put together my own foundation. Um, still work in progress because I've learned that that is a very big process. It's only come about in the last couple of weeks, but I wanna be able to affect other athletes in their lives and create positive change moving forward. Um, it's as I've become old, an older athlete, I know there's a lot more info I have to be able to give at the same point, you can't, you know, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink is what I've always been told. So when it comes to a lot of other athletes, I don't try and push what I know on anybody. Um, but if these younger athletes come to me, I'm a wealth of knowledge. It's my job and my duty and for me to feel fulfilled i have to note that i've helped somebody else because i got here because other people helped me other male bobsledders that were top of their class other females other coaching staff and it's my job and responsibility with great reward comes great responsibility i could go all day on all of those things um but i really do believe that i've been gifted a lot of support and i need to be able to provide that back so um i can say that I've been able to help influence a lot of younger bobsledders 
just in regards to helping with business ideas, gain sponsors, build brand and image, or get find that support in how I've been able to do it. And hopefully that helps them. And on the track, I've been able to provide a lot of support, just driving knowledge, equipment knowledge, actual sport knowledge. And um, we've got some amazing athletes that are up and coming, a part of Team USA. And, you know, it's a question I get, are you going to go into coaching? Another way I can, I'll be able to give back and I don't know the answer, you know, then I'll usually fire back with, are you trying to get me retired right away? <laughs> I don't think I'm quite here that not 2026 is still the goal. Um, I know I've got at least one more Olympics in me and, uh, and then we'll, we'll see from there. I think a lot depends on if 2030 is in Salt Lake city or not, we'll find out in the next year or two. Um, but I know that I still have more to do in this sport and I definitely lead through action and by example. And so I really want to help. I'm a part currently of uh, three boards. So athlete committees with USA bobsled or international federation. Um, so I'm working really hard to help change the program itself and then really set future generations up for success. So volunteering my time in that way as well has, it not only fulfills me, but it helps know that I'm, I'm helping others become their best. Yeah, I love the giving back component. I mean, that's, we, we started this all because we're trying to help others give back and give advice and insights to other people right along the way. Um, not everybody has that ability or the person that they need to know or whatever the case is. And so you got to start somewhere, um, but love, love that, uh, you know, being forefront in, in your mind. All right, rapid fire, here we go. Um, country that you've never visited before that you still want to go to. Greece or Bali. Sport country, but Greece is sport that you could compete in at an Olympic level, other than bobsled. Cycling. Oh, I like, thought you were going to go skiing, but, but cycling. All right, I tried that. Turns out I can't. <laughs> so I learned that one already. Uh, Michaela Schifrin's and Lindsey Vons, you guys blow my mind with what you're able to do, and just willy-nilly go down and check yourself down that hill i tried it i tried i gave everything i had they are they're my heroes because they have something i do not have cycling well and you can do that in the summer that's not a nice sport so there so there you go um sponsor brand that you'd want to work with that you haven't yet uh -uh. Veronica Beard, which is clothing, like fancy, nice clothing. Nice. Okay. Boots and pants and shoes and stuff like that. What's the go-to post-workout recovery? Meal, drink, whatever, whatever it might be. Well, I think it's important and I do get my protein shakes in post. It has to happen. Uh, my favorite meal would be sushi or steak and french fries. Love it. It's not all not all vegetables. Uh, <laughs> I do bobsled. <laughs> yeah. I need uh, the protein and then to maintain weight, so. There you go. Uh, la last one for you. Uh, if you could pick any position in the sled, where are you going? You going front, back, middle? Front, hands down. I will never go into the back of a sled again. I mean, if some development driver and I'm a coach needs something, I'll put some shoulder pads on. I'm not afraid to go in the back, but 
well, no. You're driving. You're driving. I'm driving all day long. I don't care who else is in that sled. It's actually a common question we do do on Bob's sled is like, if you could slide with anybody, like, would you slide? Yeah, like, yeah. amongst pilots. And I'm like, okay, there's like three worldwide. Francesco Friedrich of Team Germany. I would get in behind him. Um, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> Anybody else, I'm driving. If there was one person that you could put in the back of your sled, who would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Funny you should ask, because we also asked this question in sport. And for a long time, I was always so jealous when I was on Team Canada of the US Brakemen. World-class, fast, big, like powerful women that I always had to race against. And then I came to USA and I was like, yes! I had like Lolo Jones and Lauren Gibbs and Asia Evans. And I was like, I get to race with you now. Like, this is amazing. Um, so that was, I actually got to live out that dream a little bit. Um, right now, who would I pick if I could have anybody? Oh, that's a good one. There's a couple German, I mean, do I get to pick guys or like girls? I was thinking like a celebrity, like you'd want to have in huh. the back of the bobsled, you know, like chat. I'm like performance. I'm like, okay, who's a better athlete? Where <laughs> right away, performance. Like how, who am I winning races with? That's where I went. Like oh, you've got one in. race, like you want to let like celebrity, legendary, that would have been just a cool experience. Ooh, uh, who would I, who do I want? Garth Brooks. If I could, I love Garth Brooks. He's my favorite, like all time. Man, I've been to like seven of his concerts. He's my idol. Just in how he approaches his job and his career and his life, like, and his music, man, I know every word, but also he um, he's definitely, I think very inspiring what he's been able to create and build and how he approaches what he does. So if I could take him down, have a race with him and or just like be around, that's who I'm picking. Love it. Kaylee, really appreciate you sharing your story, your journey, the insights, the lessons learned along the way. It's been amazing to just hear about the adversity that you face, but also the successes along the way and how uh, they've, they've both gone hand in hand. So really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Life in the Front Office. And don't forget to get your 15% off Suja at sujaorganic.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And stay tuned for next Monday's episode with a new guest and new content.